1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with a new co-host today. Kyle right. Stokes is here. Kyle is a new reporter WFIU. That's right. And today we're going to talk about uh, funding higher education. We uh, expect to have three guests with us uh, by the time the, the show gets really rolling. Uh, in the studio right now with us is Neil Theobald, a, a return visitor. Neil's been here with mm-hmm. us before. He's I, an IU vice president and chief financial officer. Uh, we hope to be joined soon by Tariq. Lisa Lubbers, the Indiana Commissioner for Higher Education, and joining us by phone from uh, Lafayette, West Lafayette, will be Tim Sands, Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs and Provost at Purdue University. Uh, If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348 and wfiu.org slash noon edition. Well, Kyle,
2: Welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here, Bob. So uh, tell us how you uh, came to Bloomington. Bob. Well, I, came, I, I come from Minnesota originally mm-hmm. by way of Missouri, so I, I've come from a public radio affiliate in Columbia, Missouri, and now I'm here to be an education reporter. You're an education You're in Bloomington. reporter, so right.
1: uh, we're glad to have you Welcome. Here.
2: All right. Well, Neil, um, you have
1: just come back from South Bend. You were there yesterday, mm-hmm. and IU passed a, a budget. Correct. Thank, uh, congratulations on getting that accomplished. So uh, it's a $3 billion budget, and, and uh, I, as I read in our paper this morning in Mike Leonard's fine report, $1.8 billion for operating expenses and $1.2 billion for medical and other expenses. And I want to talk about that medical piece right off the right. bat, because how, how has the you know, health care issue uh, affected the budget?
3: Uh, the last five years, uh, the gain's been $60 six zero million. Dollars. Uh, For the upcoming year now, we do health care on a calendar year basis, so this won't uh, be effective until January. Uh, We limited the increase to $11.4 million for next year uh, because the goal was to have a salary increase. And there simply weren't enough funds to have both a salary increase and to to cover the full cost of of the medical. Uh, So we expect to see uh, some fairly significant increases in the premiums for Mm -hmm. employees come January of 2012. Mm -hmm.
1: Will they they exceed the 1.5 percent average pay increase?
3: Well, the bases are different, obviously. Um, So, you know, 1.5 average salary, um, probably fairly comparable, but Mm -hmm. but it'll be lumpy. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on what plan you choose, there are plans that are more expensive than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know with our partners at IU Health, we're putting in a new plan that's fairly inexpensive. So if you choose that definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to choose you know, your Blue Cross, zero deductible sort of thing, I do not be able to cover it now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it seems to me that you know, as a uh, person who works in business, too, everybody continues to talk about salaries, but you, know, you need a big salary increase to cover what you're going to pay in additional health care fees, oh, usually. So. Absolutely. Now, there's 1% extra money going to faculty. Is that correct?
3: Well, it's one and a half across all employee groups, across all campuses. But in addition, uh, we have a large number of uh, uh, outside offers to our empl- our faculty in Bloomington and in Indianapolis, so we're setting aside another one percent beyond the one and a half mm-hmm. that's targeted to high ability faculty. Our goal is that that they never they never go interview in the first place. Um, so it's two and a half for faculty in Bloomington and Indianapolis, and one and a half for every other employee group.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Again, our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition.
2: I wanted to ask you about that tuition increase. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's a, that's a burden that the state had a lot of pushback over that tuition right. increase. Uh, I wonder whether, what the decision-making process was to put the tuition increase before setting the budget, mm-hmm. and how difficult was that decision to increase tuition um, in the economic times that we're in right now?
3: extremely difficult. Uh, there's two pieces to it. Uh, the uh, base increase, what we will collect year after year in our, in our regional campuses and at IUPUI are, is two and a half percent. In Bloomington, it's three and a half percent. But uh, the state did not fund repair and renovation uh, for uh, the universities this year. And especially on this campus, the age of the buildings, is simply no way we can go two years without repairing and renovating, repairing roofs, uh, gutters, all of that sort of thing, and the infrastructure the steam pipes and everything. I mean, once you're here in the summer, you will know we've had to start rotating air conditioning when it gets above 82 degrees because we don't have air conditioning capacity for all of our buildings at any temperature above 82, and so we turn it off. We take turns turning it off across the campus, and I can tell by my calls. Which buildings are turned off, especially on a day when, you know, in Bloomington, it can get in the mid-90s and very humid. If you don't have air conditioning, it's not very pleasant. So that's our first project, actually, in Bloomington, will be a substantial uh, expansion to the chiller capacity that will allow us to air condition in the middle of the summer here. Uh, So we added another... $90 $90 per semester in Bloomington, $80 per semester at IUPUI, and $30 per semester at our regional campuses. And that money never comes into the general fund. It goes straight to the plant fund to pay for chillers and roofs and all those sorts of things.
2: The impression was that you were, with this new R&R fee, kind of circumventing state recommendations. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, I,
3: the t- ongoing tuition increase is exactly what the state recommended. Uh, the R and R fee is temporary. We hope it's temporary. Uh, the state has never, in the in the past several decades, not funded repair and renovation of buildings. So we're hoping, given the difficult economic times, that this is a one time only event, and this will simply be a, a one time fee that then goes away as soon as they're able to fund
2: R and R.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Um you use the word circumvent, I think. Uh, Luke, it's the
2: word that critics have been using. Well, Luke so.
1: – actually, Luke Kinley in our paper uh, today, you mm-hmm. might have seen it, mm-hmm. said – that uh, I think his quote was, the university has the authority to set their own fees. And obviously, IU Bloomington and Purdue and West Lafayette have chosen to violate the commission's recommendations. So, uh, you know, Teresa Lovers will be here, we mm-hmm. hope, soon. And i she'll have a, a different take on that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll also have uh, Tim Sands on – right. You know, I think an important
3: point Uh, here uh, is that while tuition is going up uh, on all of our campuses, and in Bloomington it's about $500, mm -hmm. in Bloomington the average uh, financial aid grant will go up by $1,100, and I'm talking resident undergraduate here. So to me what's really important – I have three kids in college myself – what's really important is what you actually have to pay, the net tuition. And in our budget that was approved yesterday by the trustees, uh, we added $15 million of IU funding uh, to our financial aid so that actually the net cost for our resident undergraduates will go down on average next year. will not increase. So it's, it's two things. It's one, we have to take care of our buildings. But secondly, we're actually try, in this environment trying to take care of the affordability by
1: adding to financial aid. Yeah. And Tim Sands is with us. And Tim, I'm, I apologize for not uh, acknowledging you earlier. So um, do you want to respond to this, uh, the, the whole idea of the, um, the you, Luke Kinley talked about that Purdue and West Lafayette and IU and Bloomington have chosen to violate the commission's recommendations. What are your recommendations, by the way?
4: Well, we our recommendations were similar, 0 to 3.5% for the West Lafayette campus, 2.5% for the regionals, and we did stay within those uh, recommendations, uh, and uh, the commission has uh, backed us up on that. Uh, the reason that it looks a little different is we had a 1% um, fee added that the students uh, supported and went back uh, two years ago, it's scheduled to uh, come into play uh, this coming um, biennium uh, for our uh, fitness and wellness center. So, you know, you can look at it. Yeah, we're over three and a half, but we are actually within the guidelines and and, um, the commission has uh, stated that
2: publicly. Mm -hmm. All right. Is it true that after ten years of increasing tuition at Purdue, that the cost has doubled? It's gone up one hundred percent.
1: Oh,
4: the uh, tuition has gone up more than a hundred percent. It's gone up about a hundred and fifty percent in about twelve years. But um, and and I think that that's not um, out of line with what's happened at other public universities. But focusing on um, on Purdue West Lafayette, uh, we've really gone through a major transformation that during that ten years we've gone from. Uh, you know, a very strong undergraduate, research, or undergraduate university to uh, becoming a major uh, research university, major engagement university. Not that we weren't before, but, but, but we've really changed the nature of Purdue um, and have gone, for example, we've almost tripled the uh, research awards in that period that we received from, uh, from sponsors, and we've more than uh, doubled the research expenditures uh, so uh, we are a much different university now than we were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of it is due to the fact that um, we have uh, decided, along with uh, in, in, along with the commission, frankly, that uh, mission differentiation is an important aspect of our uh, public uh, university systems. Uh, and so we have, we maintained access during that time, about uh, 98% of the students last year who applied to uh, undergraduate admission at West Lafayette were admitted to the Purdue system. Now, about 60% were admitted to West Lafayette, but, but the West Lafayette campus, and I think um, Neil would say the same about the Bloomington campus, um, they're, they're not the campus for everyone. You know, we want to make sure that everyone who's uh, able to go on to higher education is able to in the state and the public system, but not everyone will go to the same uh, campus for their their education. So I, I think that that's an important distinction, the fact that um, we need to have our missions differentiated, that we shouldn't all have – every campus shouldn't be doing the same thing and serving the same
1: role for the state. Yeah. Neil, do you want to uh, respond to that? Because IU has done similar things. Oh, yeah. very similar.
3: Um in the demand for higher education uh, has in, – in addition to the changes in the provision, the demand has just skyrocketed. Uh, this year, we'll have over 50,000 applicants across the system. Uh, we 11,000 applicants for transfers, mostly from Ivy Tech. That that's, didn't exist 10 years ago. Uh, we had 37,000 applicants for 7,000 slots in Bloomington. Um, so the, the demand has just skyrocketed. Uh, at a time that we're trying to research mission, service mission, economic development, all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm.
1: Our phone number is again eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington calling area. WFIU slash noonedition is our web address. If you want to go there, you can join the conversation. Um, Neil Neil Theobald is here. He's Indiana University's vice president and chief financial officer. And also Tim Sands is on the phone with us from West Lafayette. He's executive vice president for academic affairs uh, and provost of Purdue University. And Teresa Lubbers just joined us. Thank you, Teresa. She's She's, uh, from the Indiana Commission for Higher Education. So, thank you all for being here, uh, Neil. I wanted to to go back to what you you said and have Tim address this also. Um, I did get a a uh, to a dear friend of Indiana University letter from Michael McRobbie this week, explaining this issue about how um, the despite the the tuition increases that it will cost most students less next year. I think in this letter it says um, uh, our financial models show that on average the out of pocket cost for families. We'll pay for tuition, uh, and fees will drop to less than 2,300 dollars per student uh, from, 2840 dollars this past year. Mm-hmm. So, and and uh, Tim, it sounds like you are saying similar kinds of things with the number of grants that are available at Purdue. Would that kind of uh, statistic hold true for Purdue?
4: Um, well, those are two different things actually, uh, but uh, yes, I think we're in a similar situation to um, uh, Indiana University. Uh, we've been trying hard to keep the, the net uh, cost of, of education at a reasonable level and, and not see that escalate despite uh, pressures from all corners, uh, so um, that is something that's very important. We've been increasing the amount of institutional aid uh, that we provide for our um, undergraduates. And uh, I think that's essential in the current environment. Uh, We just have uh, – we've been through a very tough recession. We've got another two years of of at least of uh, of very tight budgets. And um, we need to make sure that we can maintain not only – an open door, but um, also uh, ensure that our graduates are not burdened with excessive debt. Now, I would say that if you look at the net um, return, the return on investment for a Purdue degree and and for an IU Bloomington degree, uh, it's very high. It's it's a pay scale put out a report recently that – um, a graduate of Purdue West Lafayette will uh, essentially make a fourteen percent return over thirty years on the money they invested, and that's the, the net cost of the the education. But you don't want to start off with a with a large debt. So we are very um, um, in, attuned to the the issue there, and, and are doing everything we can within the limited resources that we've got to make sure that. Uh, our students are able to to come to Purdue and stay here and graduate without um, excessive debt.
2: I want, I want to throw one more element into this mix here because, Dr., uh, Vice President Theobald, you talked about the effects of Ivy Tech transfers um, into IU. And that's certainly one of the elements that's sort of been added into the pot here. But in terms of keeping costs down and, and we can bring uh, – Ms. Lubbers into in the into the conversation here as well. Um, what is the effect on kind of overall, not just on costs, but bringing Ivy Tech into the mix has really changed the way that things look at IU. Um, can you just sort of go into detail about how that's how that's changed things?
3: Well, we have before uh, Ivy tech students even come to campus, we have Ivy tech students living in our dormitories uh, here in Bloomington, and then they take their classes at Ivy tech because it is we are a four year program here, and we are trying to socialize people into what 's going on right away, so they have that opportunity as well but Very high ability kids that are coming over from IUP or from Ivy Tech. Um, A lot of them in their first year. We get a large number of transfers after their freshman year, and then the two in two program they come after their sophomore year. So it is it has worked out extremely well for us. Mm
2: -hmm. These transfers obviously have a major effect. It's it's part of what the state is looking for with higher education. Would you agree?
0: Well, I'm I'm coming into this discussion about affordability, and certainly looking at the students who attend Ivy Tech as. Um the least costly, in terms of just sticker shock, cost to go to college of our institutions in the state. It's very important. And that relationship between our four-year institutions and our community college is absolutely critical uh, to the future of the state. We need more of all kinds of degrees, but proportionally, we are especially deficient in associate degrees, and so we are really pushing for that. Um, At the commission where we, you know, care about all of our students, wherever they go to college, uh, we know that we're putting a lot of pressure on the community college system. Their headcount is now... Exceeds two hundred thousand, um, and students uh, are eighty percent part-time working, and so the relationships with four-year institutions and and the 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 speed with which they can make that transfer is critically important.
1: Uh, I might I want to welcome Teresa Lovers to the program, and Teresa was. Uh, in the state senate for 17 years before taking over uh, and leading the higher education commission um, i think it would be instructive to a lot of our read uh, a lot of our readers on the newspaper guy a lot of our listeners to uh, know about the higher education commission and the relationship between the higher ed commission and iu and purdue and the other universities in the state
0: well i will try to do a cliff note for you okay. on that um, the commission was created in 1971 And basically, we have um, statutory charge to approve all degrees and programs in the state, to make recommendations to the legislature and the governor for uh, state uh, funding for higher education. We make recommendations for um, SASE, for financial aid as well. And we operate under a strategic plan called Reaching Higher, which establishes the overall strategic plan for uh, higher education in the state. We are working to build an integrated but differentiated system of higher education. Uh, We understand that our statutory authority is limited and that the boards of trustees have authority to do many of these individual institutional operating decisions. But um, just to pick up on some of the conversation I heard when we came in, it's difficult not to be concerned about student debt. And we are very grateful for institutions that are willing and trying to wrap student aid around Uh, As I have said several times in recent days, the graduating class of 2011 in this country has the the dubious distinction of being the most indebted class ever. And so, um, for the first time, student debt load has actually exceeded credit card debt in this country at $829 billion. So um, this is not an inconsequential concern because you have to juxtapose this very real strain that families and students face with the strains that institutions face as well at the same time and factor into that the fact that we're telling everyone that they need post-secondary credentials of some sort for this new economy. So there are lots of stresses all the way around.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the, the role. I, mean, I think the easiest way for or one easy way to, to think of it is that you, know, you, you serve a purpose so that not every university decides they want to start a medical school. Right, for instance. I mean, you would have to, to approve a degree program or That's
0: school. exactly right. We right. would not want redundancies, and that's one of our charges. Uh, mm-hmm. Clearly, the thing that we're probably known for outside of higher education um, arenas is more the recommendations we make for funding for higher education.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and let's talk about the the tuition recommendations you made. I think that's, some, that's one of the most specific things we've been talking about. You recommended for Purdue and IU 3.5%. Uh, tuition increases on Bloomington and West Lafayette. And, you know, I I quoted um, uh, Senator Kinley, Luke Kinley, talking about how he thought that Purdue and IU, IU Bloomington and Purdue West Lafayette had violated the commission's recommendations. Do you agree with that?
0: Well, it exceeded our targets, and, and, you know, obviously we set the targets for a reason, and we understand that that institutions look at different factors as well. But we, this is the second time that the commission has been asked to set non-binding targets. We did this the first time in the last budget cycle. We spent a lot of time, we looked, we started with more than uh, 30 factors, we narrowed it down to five that we used primarily, and in keeping with the fact that we have differentiated missions in our institutions, we set targets at different levels. Um, but we were very aware of the fact that um, tuition has continued to increase at 5 or 6% for, in, in, as far as we can remember. And these are fairly extraordinary times in which we're living. Uh, and um, so we need to find a way to balance those. We, we felt that we came in with targets that did balance institutional needs with family and student needs. Um, and that's kind of where we are right now.
1: What's that 3.5%? 3, 3 mean for a typical student uh, student at IU, Neil? How Um, how much money is that? What are are the dollars? In
3: Bloomington that would
1: be $316. And at Purdue? Oh, it is
0: about the same. Okay. But remember, this is a compounded number as well. So we did for the first year. One of the things that the legislature did several years ago when they began shining a light more on tuition was to ask that institution set their tuition on a two year basis. So it is whatever the percentage for this year and for the next year. And that is why the, the institutional aid that is being provided is is critically important. You know, we are quick we are here in Bloomington, mm-hmm. but we are very aware of what happens at the regional campuses as well for both Purdue and IU, as I know they are. Uh, The the number of Pell students and the number of low-income students as measured by Pell are the least at Bloomington and West Lafayette of all of our systems of higher education. Those low-income students tend to attend our regional campuses and our community college and and a couple of our other four-year comprehensive institutions. Mm -hmm. And so as we look at this system of higher education, we try to be cognizant of that need as we set our targets.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. The, word that you, the words that you used when IU announced that it was going to, to implement a tuition increase were that the university was pricing Hoosiers out of education, but they've also felt a squeeze the university has from a state government led by Republicans that have said, you know, we're going to cut state funding, state appropriations have decreased. Isn't tuition increase a, a natural outgrowth of that? Isn't that the only place that the university can go?
0: it 's not the only place it is one place I mean there are I think Neil would tell you there are sources of funding they have a good uh, alumni student base they receive a lot of research dollars some of those are designated for particular areas. The comments that I made were not in response to IU they were a response to targets over the state and yes, but I would be quick to add to you if you can find some extra money for us someplace we haven't recently found oil in Indiana, so we're <laughs> operating with the money that the taxpayers give us, and you can only do what you can do and when you have increasing entitlements that come from Medicaid, corrections, all of costs. I mean, this is to me very disturbing when for the first time it appears that Medicaid costs in the State may exceed, as a percentage of the State budget, higher
2: education for the first mm-hmm. time ever. Well, what are you going to do with that situation? Mm-hmm. Vice President Sands, I want to ask you how you would handle or, or are handling the, this increasing pinch.
4: Well, about two years ago um, we recognized what was likely coming, and uh, we formed a, an effort called Sustaining New Synergies and identified about $67 million in uh, recurring savings that we could um, um, uh, expect to uh, garner. And that process is being implemented. It, it's not without pain. We've uh, cut $20 million out of our academic budgets, and, and that, um, that hurts, uh, but it is necessary. Uh, And uh, uh, the the companion activity that has just been launched a few months ago, and and, uh, Commissioner Lubbers came uh, to campus um, right before we launched it, is our decadal funding plan initiative. And we basically, um, uh, getting back to this point of um, is tuition fees, is that the only place you can go when state appropriations drop? And uh, uh, we we believe that that is basically where we are, but it's not sustainable. So we can't just keep increasing tuition and fees to fill in holes. And um, uh, so we've uh, we're in the middle of a process of uh, involving um, uh, our faculty and, and stakeholders, staff, in determining um, a new funding model for Purdue. Going out, looking out about ten years, rather than just the usual two years. And our plan is to to plot a trajectory to that point, and to uh, uh, to discuss this with the commission and with other stakeholders, uh, and see if we can um, develop a plan where we're not doing it every two years, but we're actually doing a, the two-year budget cycle in the context of a ten-year plan to get to a uh, an em, envisioned uh, the state where we can um, expect to uh, fulfill our missions and and. Um, enhance the value of a Purdue
1: degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we take a break, because we're going to have to take a break soon, but I want Neil to have the opportunity to to answer that question similarly, because I know that that you and and President McRobbie and and a group really put together a a plan two or three years ago also.
3: Yeah, I I would applaud Purdue's uh, plan. In fact, we stole one of those ideas uh, that was in your paper this morning uh, with an early retirement plan. 500 of our employees will take early retirement, which will save us about $6 million a year. Uh, we are closing the School of Continuing Studies, which is a was a wrenching decision uh, but that 'll save us up to four million dollars a year. Uh, centralized purchasing, uh, which has saved us about $12 million a year. So a number of those same kind of initiatives, but I think the Purdue plan is is really an excellent one that I would recommend to anyone. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. We're going to have to take a break. We're talking about the funding for higher education with Indiana University Vice President and Chief Financial Officer Neil Theobald, Teresa Lubbers, the head of the Indiana Higher Education Commission, and Tim Sands, Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs and the Provost at Purdue University. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald-Times, along with Kyle Stokes from WFIU. And today we're talking about higher education with Neil Theobald, the IU's vice president and chief financial officer, Teresa Lubbers, the head of the Indiana Higher Education Commission, and Tim Sands, executive vice president for academic affairs and provost at Purdue University. If you want to join us, please call us at 855-0811, 877-285-9348, and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is a web address if you want to go to the website and add your comments or questions there. I want to go back to the um, early retirement plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, $6 million annually will be your savings. Mm-hmm. There is a cost up front, though, correct? Right. Uh, so it's, it's like the buyout cost. Right. $26 million one-time cost. One-time cost. So that will happen this year. And That's then you'll right. have – so you'll basically make up that money in four years. Four to five years. Four to five, four to five years. Right. Right. Um, I just want to address this issue. It's a savings for the university, but at the same time, you are losing some institutional knowledge and, and a lot of people who've been around for a long time. I mean, it's – I think I just want to acknowledge that point. Absolutely.
3: Now, as I went through and I signed off on all 499 uh, early retirements. Those are some fabulous people. But it's, it, it, but it's great. I know a lot. Of, obviously, I know a lot. of them, <laughs> And this is giving them an opportunity at a time in their life to go in a different direction. Uh, we have about 50 faculty uh, taking early retirement. It gives them a chance, in many cases, to go somewhere else, uh, do something different. So it's, it's a win-win. It was voluntary. There was nothing mandatory about it. Mm-hmm. So they, cho- they chose to uh, apply, and, and we will miss them very, very much next week when they're not here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, again, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, 811 877 877-285-9348, and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We'd like to hear from you if you want to give us a call. Teresa?
0: I, I just wanted to pick up on that a little bit in the discussion about productivity and efficiency, which I think this feeds into. Um, uh, it, it, as we know, all enterprises, especially large enterprises like universities, are um, – operating with a new paradigm. And we are quick to say when we talk and, and we try to partner with the, the universities on efficiency measures, whether it's administrative or academic, we do so not in to be just punitive or hard-nosed about it. It is because we're asking them to serve more students. And the reality is that those dollars have, have been and, and in the near future are not going to be increasing at dramatic numbers. So... Part of the reason why you see a reduction in the per FTE for a school is because you have growth in many of those institutions. Now, some of our campuses are more stable, so they're not seeing the same kinds of growth. But we are asking many of our institutions to serve more students. And that means if if you're not going to get more money and you're going to have to serve more students, and many of them have greater academic needs, you have to talk about productivity and efficiency. There's nothing else that you can do. And so this is... uh, And, you know, I've been delighted that there have been creative new ways that that universities have looked at issues related to pensions or health care or redundancy of class offerings. You know, we may not want to have these discussions, but we really have no other
2: option. I wonder if you'd compare that. I I just – I looked up a couple of Big Ten uh, state appropriations to – Big Ten Universities. Um, and just sort of a piecemeal look offers, you know, it's sort of like Indiana is, is sort of right about where everybody else is right now, even after some cuts in Michigan, like the University of Michigan is down from $325 million to the state, now down to two fifty five, million and Michigan State is at $223 or so. Um, and, and Indiana gets about, the, the Bloomington campus alone, Indiana University gets $230 million from the state. There's this push for efficiency to do more with less money. But I wonder if if what the the type of money that Indiana University, even just the Bloomington campus is getting, is, is anything out of line with what other colleges are doing? And maybe the push for efficiency comes from a sense of driving costs down, but costs are actually relatively normal.
0: Well, as I mentioned before, we're in extraordinary times. We're not – it's not the world it was a decade ago. And so – and some of – if you look across the country – if I'm in higher education, which I consider myself to be in, a different, wearing a different hat, I'd rather be operating in Indiana than in most of the other states that you looked at, I'm sure, where costs across the country went down what were three to five, to even considerations of 50 percent cuts in higher education. So you have to look at where universities were and where they are now. And you know, without being overly deferential to my former colleagues in the legislature, I will tell you that the the, the effort to continue to fund education and especially financial aid in really tough times has been pretty extraordinary even in the final days of the legislative session this year, when the forecast came out a little better than they thought, they put another $22 million into financial aid. So when we look at these numbers, it's not inconsequential that we give 95 percent of our aid at the state level on a need basis, and that's helping those families with the kinds of cost changes that you're seeing in higher
2: education. Of course, we'd like to give more money to higher education. Everybody would in a perfect world. But, I, I, I mean, what do you think is the most prudent legislative policy at this point? Hold the line, increase state aid, or decrease it going forward?
0: Well, we don't print money. You know, it's not the federal government. So you have what you have, and you have certain actual entitlements and requirements that you have to have. It still remains that education is by far the largest proportion of the state budget as it should be. And so um, it's not as simple as the way you pose the question, um, with all due deference to the question. Um, you know, you do the best with what you can, and you certainly make the case for why funding higher education at adequate levels is critically important to Hoosiers in this state economy.
1: All right, we have a phone call. Let's go to Lyle on the phone. Lyle's from Nashville.
5: Yes. Um, after reading articles in the USA Today and the Indianapolis Star. Uh, about uh, salaries, I'm wondering how anyone can justify the meteoric rise in the salaries for football coaches. They're paid more than presidents and potentates around the world, and I don't believe that they really contribute very much of real worth to actual benefits to students' lives after their graduation. Um, Seems to me like that is the oil you're looking for, and it's being uh, wasted, actually.
3: All right, Neil, you want yeah, to... Certainly. Uh, if Indiana University existed on an island, I can assure you football coaches' salaries would be different than they are. Uh, but we don't. We, uh, we're we in a nationally competitive market for football coaches. And uh, if you do not pay close to that market, I, you, people that you want to have will leave, and you won't be able to recruit the people you want to replace them. I
5: think what you want is our students who can afford to come... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking about higher education. We're not talking oh. about sports, but it seems to just—I I, believe—they're—they're they're paid better than the presidents of the universities and everything.
3: I think, and that, I mean, both Purdue and IU are actually in a very, very small percentage of uh, Division One universities that don't subsidize their athletic programs. Uh, I think across the U.S., about ninety percent of athletic programs in Division One are subsidized on for an average of, we're talking $10 million at a university. Both Purdue, I believe, and I'm pretty sure I'm right there, Tim, yes. and IU, we provide no subsidy. So the funds to pay the football coach, whether I agree or disagree with that salary, there is no university money in
4: there. Yeah, they operate, I can just add, at Purdue, and I think the same thing is true at, at, at uh, Indiana, that uh, they operate as an auxiliary. That's right and um, we actually have a flow of money from intercollegiate athletics back to the academic side um, and it's not a lot of money but it's a it is a it is a significant amount and uh, um, we're fortunate to be in that position
3: yeah, as do we
2: and speaking of Paying people at the university, <laughs> you, you look again around the Big Ten just at salaries, and, and Indiana University is, is is towards the bottom of Big Ten university salaries. I know there's a, a salary increase coming around the bend, and we discussed that at the beginning of the program. Um, I, I, do you have any goals in terms of raising salaries here here at the university, or, or some sort of goal about how that can maybe try and increase? You know more than just sort of piecemeal increases right. over the years, right, I mean
3: the salary increases this year came from administrative cuts and the fact that we have uh, record enrollments on each of our campuses. Um, we, the reason why Indiana University and Purdue, in exactly the same situation can provide such strong academics at affordable prices is because we have fabulous faculty and fabulous staff, I and mean, we are totally dependent on these people, and do we wish we could pay them a lot more absolutely? Uh, but the re- I, mean, I think Commissioner Lubbers has very accurately stated what the reality is in, in the modern world. Uh, we did everything we could to have as large a salary as increase as we could. It's totally merit-based, so we're trying to focus it on those people that we most need to give money to. Uh, but no, we would—we'd love to have larger increases going forward. But you know, it depends on what what funding's available.
1: Will there be increases at Purdue this year?
4: Uh, yes. We're um, in the midst of planning for a 1.5% uh, increase that's centrally funded. Uh, so, yes. Um, but, again, it's very modest, and it is merit-based. So uh, just like uh, Indiana University Bloomington, we are um, uh, try- doing our best to retain our uh, top faculty and uh and not lose them to other institutions because there is a steady demand if you have a faculty member who becomes nationally prominent or globally prominent you can bet that they're going to have um, offers coming their way and and this is a, a constant battle we'd like to move um, our salaries to a point where we don't have to fight that battle so often at the end, which is when they have the offer in hand. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's a constant struggle and it's uh, the reality, just as Neil mentioned, that uh, we have uh, uh, limited resources and we have to be very careful with the way we, we spend them on salaries, but they're absolutely critical to the university. You can't have a strong um, public research university without uh, strong faculty and staff.
1: Mm-hmm. Commissioner Lubbers, um, you know, you're, you're Position that you're trying to hold the line and hold the the cost down for Indiana for Hoosiers who want to go to the university and, and I certainly respect that. I want I'd like to to uh, bounce a couple things off of you though and have you address those because perhaps I'm missing something. Uh, when we were talking before about uh, at IU, the um, president McRobbie sent out a, a note, and Neil has mentioned it that you know the financial models show that families will pay for tuition and fees. Uh, less this year than they paid last year go ahead that's what I'm you can tell me what I'm missing
0: not everybody will pay less I mean this is an average and I think we we, Neil and I have talked about this Mm -hmm. and we need to understand and we appreciate any sort of extra aid that can be wrapped around students but I think it would be very misleading for you to have your listeners believe that everyone is going to pay less that would not be true Mm -hmm. Uh, And and you're talking tuition, not all-in costs. And uh, this is not to take away from the efforts that have been made with the capital campaign. But, um, and of course, you know, we're concerned about a system of higher education. So not everyone has the ability that Purdue West Lafayette or Bloomington has in terms of a, a, a very strong alumni base with people who are at the level where they can make contributions as they should to their universities. I'm concerned about middle-class and lower middle-class families who don't qualify for any money on their FAFSA. They're getting no financial aid. Now, if they're really smart at a place like Bloomington or West Lafayette, they're going to get some good merit aid when they come here. But there are a lot of families, and I hear from them all the time, mom and dad are working, they're at the margins, they're spending more and more of their family income for their children to go to school. And we're making sure that there are a couple messages that our companion message to the affordability issue, which is the completion issue and the fact that degrees matter, but some degrees matter more than others, and I think we have an obligation to make sure that students and families understand this. To that end, we have gone live with a college cost calculator, and and IU and Purdue and the other institutions will have them, their own, to actually show what net costs are for college so that you understand that the sticker shock is not necessarily what you will pay at the end. So the more we can be transparent about these numbers and make sure that we take very complicated issues and we don't go to simple explanations, and, you know, all of us are guilty of that. You know, we can do that at any place where we take a number and we put it out there. So I'm, I'm very cognizant of making sure that, that families and students really understand what the cost will be.
1: Yeah, can you explain that just a little, go a little bit further into that about the sticker shock being not what you're going right. to pay at the end?
0: Can, right. Right. Well, well, you know, you see what it would cost, and then when you, there are certain things that will reduce your costs, mm-hmm. the kind of high school diploma you get. We want to tell students if you get the academic honors diploma, you'll get 100 percent of state financial aid compared to only getting 80 percent if you don't. We, we make sure they understand all the scholarships that are available down to the county level. If the Kiwanis in White County gives a scholarship – for a certain kind of student, we want to make sure they know that. We wrap around the kinds of aid that they provide for through the covenant scholarship or whatever it is. So that at the very end, we look in the expected family contribution will be. And then at the end, you come up with the best you can to understand what your net cost will be.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Neil mentioned before the demand for uh, Indiana University. This uh, the numbers: thirty thousand applied for
3: 37,000 applications in Bloomington this year. How
1: how is how is the demand for higher education around the rest of the state?
0: The demand is higher every place. Yeah. Now it's obviously reputations of the schools or mission differentiation drives different students. Obviously, the greatest growth we're seeing is in our community college system. We didn't have a community college before, and uh, rural community college system, and so you're seeing just astronomical growth there. But it's not surprising. There are two things happening. One, the economy is such that people are going back to school because they're underemployed or unemployed. And two, we're telling everybody that it isn't enough to have a high school diploma anymore. You don't, we don't tell everybody they need a four-year degree, but we're saying you need a two-year degree, a four-year degree, a quality one-year certificate, or a workforce credential. So going back to school is the name of the game. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. We have about 10 minutes to go. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight 811 877 877-285-9348, and wfiu.org slash noon edition.
2: I have a question that I think all three of you could tackle, and it isn't purely financial, but it definitely has financial impact. I, I think Ms. Lubbers would be a great place to start with that. Um, i 'm wondering especially when we 're telling everybody that a high school diploma is not enough um, there 's also a push to to do more things like AP classes and dual and, and dual credit college transferable credit and things like that. The students that universities like iU or, or Purdue are getting are changing and very different and often just you know more numerous now. Um, I feel like that has a lot of implications and one of them might be that you're getting a student where if everybody has AP well, you know, an AP credit I mean, maybe AP credit credit means less in terms of how people are taught and then how do you move forward on that from a financial perspective if you're taking AP to save money but a college isn't going to accept AP credit anymore Is that actually going to have the cost savings and allow people to to get the higher education that is becoming more necessary?
0: Well, AP is a great program. Dual credit are great programs. What you have to always make sure is that you maintain the academic rigor in any of these. Uh, AP is pretty – I mean it's, it's scrutinized pretty carefully through the tests that you take. It isn't that you take an AP class. It is what you get in a score of the AP class that matters whether it's a three, four, or five, for example, to be a passing, and whether you a four or five for some specific area. So, um, you know, I think to the degree that it makes students more qualified, you, if you do some longitudinal studies, you will sh- it will show that students who have AP do very well in college. But the admissions requirements are set by the institutions. They will determine how, who they accept. I'm a big believer in AP. I think it helps the student with their aspirations, with their preparation, and I think it makes them more likely to graduate.
1: All right. Anybody have a – Neil, do you have any? I would just uh, –
3: AP, the better prepared a student is before they come here, the more likely we are to retain them. And that has been a huge focus in in the current environment. Um, We want to increase our graduation rates. Well, you need to retain them along the line. It is – at our regional campuses particularly, they have – really ramped up the entry requirements. The, re, the retention rate has followed that. The retention rate is going up because there are fewer students coming in that are frustrated with the, the difficulty of the curriculum and therefore uh, don't stay for graduation. So I, I see it as all positive the the more uh, the academic background students have before they come to the university. Mm-hmm.
1: Despite the, the demand and the fact that, that there are... Um, probably a higher quality of student going to Indiana University and Purdue, Uh, maybe in some schools and maybe at IU and Purdue also there are some students that are entering school that still need some remedial help in in the early classes, particularly in math. Are there other options for pre-college education before they get to school and need IU or Purdue or Indiana State or Ball State or somebody to help get them up to snuff?
3: Well, we have a Hoosier link program with Ivy Tech in Bloomington specifically. Uh, Those students who need some uh, remedial preparation, uh, they're treated exactly the same as an IU Bloomington student in every way except they're taking that preliminary coursework at Ivy Tech because we don't offer remedial courses on this campus.
4: Yeah, I would say that's one of the um, the, the – probably most uh, um, appreciated aspect of uh, what the commission has done is uh, this mission differentiation, which I think has really um, made the whole system uh, more efficient. We've taken the remedial part of the offerings and move that to Ivy Tech. Um, the associate degree programs, to a large extent, are now uh, with Ivy Tech. Um, the regional campuses are focused primarily on four-year degrees and maybe masters and graduate degrees that are relevant to the regional economy that they they, they are situated in, and uh, that has allowed I think institutions like or campuses like uh, Bloomington and West Lafayette to focus on on their part of the, the, the spectrum of the, the mission of higher education. So mm-hmm. I think that's all been quite positive. And, and it's allowed us to focus on student success for the students who do come to West Lafayette or to our regional campuses. Uh, we don't um, focus on the remediation, so that attention is now directed to the success of the students who, who do come to campus.
0: I think you hit on the right issue, though, in the question, which is also making sure that students leave high school career and college ready. And to that degree, we are working with our colleagues in the K-12 system every day. It's currently about a quarter of our people who start in college need remediation. About 70% who start at the community college need remediation. We know they're much less likely to complete if they're not ready. So. We're involved with a consortium of, of states around the country on common core standards for high school and, and assessments at the college level, which makes sure that we know when students are ready and when they find out that early in high, earlier in high school so we can remediate them then and don't wait until they get to college.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's part of the whole issue of, of state funding, trying to improve the high schools and, and the public schools before kids get to college. So it's a, it's a continuum.
2: It is a continuum. <laughs> right. It's a whole other animal, too. It's yeah, a, that's right. Five other shows on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have uh, just a few minutes to go. Kyle?
2: Um you know, maybe that's maybe that's a good a good way to go here. What do you, you look, obviously, because these are the students you're getting? What do you think about what's going on? And in, in let's let's start with with you, Vice President Sands. What do you look at when you see as in the K-12 uh, education reforms that have been going through the legislature, especially this past session? What do you see as the impacts for for Purdue students that you're going to be getting uh, in, in the years to come? What, what are the key factors we need to be aware of?
4: Well, I think that um, uh, that's a that's a complicated question. Um, and I'm not sure I'm really prepared to answer it in and,
1: detail. And you, and you have two minutes. <laughs> well, I have two minutes but, <laughs> but I can
4: say that um, in addition to what is going on with um, with addressing K through 12 education, and I think it was great to keep the funding level um, for K through 12 despite the. Uh, this tough period we're in, um, Purdue has become much more involved in um, directly intervening and assisting uh, K-12, especially in STEM. Uh, we've got a number of programs, including the iSTEM network. We've got a new project from the National Science Foundation at Purdue to address uh, K-12 uh, STEM. We've got uh, uh, programs that are uh, uh, almost... Throughout the university, many of them that are directed right uh, at the teachers primarily, uh, and uh, in assisting in developing uh, curricula that are uh, problem-based learning curricula that we we know uh, work better than the traditional um, kind of uh, uh, l- a serial uh, or kind of rote approach, and uh, I think that um, that's where we think we're going to have the impact is in in um, really um, transforming the uh, the K twelve STEM. Uh, education in Indiana.
1: And STEM is? Science. Oh, sorry about it's that. Right.
4: That's become a very common <laughs> term, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Right. Okay. And it's, it's probably overused. It's kind of a short, short version for um, the kinds of um, uh, fields that we think are going to be uh, absolutely important to the uh, economic development of Indiana.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Well, I think Present. that is critically important because, really, in this knowledge-based economy, we are talking about changing our state through education. And Indiana is on the cusp of what's going to happen here. And it's not clear, I mean, it's what kind of a state this is going to be in the future. But it certainly depends on how successful we are in building a more qualified, educated uh, populace. And that means, from the standpoint of higher education, we are really focused on completion and making sure that students who begin college finish and they have a credential to take into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And they're more likely to do that if they got off to a strong start early in their educational careers. And
1: I think this is a a great segue into me introducing uh, Kyle Stokes again because Kyle's here in a program uh, that's a partnership between WFIU and NPR. You want
2: to That's that? right. This is called the State Impact Indiana, and this is a, a nationwide, it's our branch of a nationwide collaborative reporting effort uh, between WFIU as well as other Indiana public media stations and uh, eight other states uh, to report here in Indiana on different, uh, here in Indiana, be education policy issues, but across the nation, they'll be looking at energy issues in the economy and some of the different states. There are eight other states. And mm-hmm. so, um, me and And then as uh, my colleague, Ben Skirvin, uh, who you've heard on the airwaves here before, will be transitioning into those roles um, as education reporters. So we'll be asking questions from pre-K to college about a lot of different things that are going on in education in Indiana. And it's an interesting time to join up on this project. Well,
1: well, welcome. We're glad to have you here. It's good to be here. All right. We're out of time. I want to thank our guests, Neil Theobald, uh, Teresa Lovers, and Tim Sands for Kyle Stokes, and for Rachel Lyon, and for John Shelton, who's engineering his last show today. I want to thank all of them. Uh, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
5: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald-Times.